Praise God. So the last uh, two, two Sundays, we've been speaking of the culture of Living Hope Family Church. I just wanted to be preaching on what is who we are as a church. What do we believe? What do we do? What is our, what is our culture? Who are we inside? Not just uh, what you see on the surface, but what are we about? And the, the first service, I talked about that we are a people that are saved by grace. And then last week, I talked about that we are people who worship. Not just as a, a short thing on, on Sunday mornings, it's half-hour time block, but that's who we are as a, as a people. Our culture is that we worship. And finally today, I want to talk about that we are a people who pray. Living Hope Family Church, prayer is such an integral part of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how many know that communication is the number one aspect of just about any relationship, period? I mean, if you have a relationship with your, your spouse, if you guys don't communicate, if you guys don't talk, you really don't have that much of a, of a relationship. You're going to have some problems there. How are you going to be a good husband and know what your wife's needs are, what she wants, if you don't actually talk to her? And how are you going to be a good wife and know what your husband needs and wants or what you can do to serve your husband if you don't actually talk to them? Communication is so important for a relationship. You cannot grow. You cannot become closer. That's why after the service, I invited you guys all out for, for lunch because I, want, I don't want you to just be a person that I see on Sunday morning and walk away and never see you again. I want to get to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to develop a relationship with each and every one of you. And that's why I ask you to stay because that is so important in the body of Christ to not just be chair warmers, seat warmers, but actually be in fellowship with the men and women in the body. You know, another thing communication is important from, and man, I see this from, from women a lot, my, my wife, not so bad anymore, but communication is important because we're not mind readers. Men, we don't know what you're talking about if you don't tell us, so, so tell a brother. <laughs> so, and finally, when you pray, God is going to speak to you. This is how you hear from God. If you're not in a relationship with somebody, if you're not communicating with God, it's difficult to expect him to communicate back with you because you don't give him any time. How can he talk to you if you won't give him the opportunity? And God will speak to you. As you begin to pray, you'll begin to see God speak to you in his word. When you read your word, you'll begin to see things that you didn't see before. While you're praying, you'll have revelation of different scriptures as God begins to speak to you. And I'll be honest with you, God doesn't usually come, This is God, Pastor Wayne. This is what you should do. I rarely hear God like that. I've never heard God like that. Rarely would be an understatement. And, but God does speak to me through his word. As I begin to read his word and I begin to pray with him, I'll see things that he'll point out to me. You know, another way that he'll speak to you is through leaders, through leaders in the church, through uh, men and women in the body of Christ. They, he'll, he'll use people to speak to you, and you need to be open to that as well. And finally, you need to understand that when God speaks to you, like I said, it's probably not a loud, booming voice, but it sounds like you. God uses your conscience. The voice, the voice you hear in your head is how God will speak to you. But how will I know if it's God speaking to me? That's the question I used to ask because, you know, have you ever been at a, at a gas station or somewhere out in public and you're like, you, feel, you really feel the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to go witness to this person? You're like, what if that's God? What if that's something else? And you begin to start making excuses. You're like, what if, what if, what if that's the devil trying to get me to do this? I'll just be embarrassed. Or be, I can promise you, if it's in alignment with the word of God, it's God speaking to you. The devil is not going to have you go speak to somebody about Jesus. So you can be, a certain, you can be assured that if it's, if it's in line with the word of God, that it is God speaking to you, whether it sounds like you or not in your head. 
And finally, this is another way that, you know, we hear people speaking all the time, like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I think I have a calling on my life. Well, you need to ask yourself, am I speaking to God? Am I talking to those leaders and letting God speak through me? So let's take a look at the first scripture. And I tell you what, I was getting ready for this sermon, and you guys should be thankful, because when I first was putting it together, going through all my scriptures, I had something like 25 slides. We were going to be going through some stuff today. And I, uh, I trimmed and I toned it down. And so you should be, uh, at this moment, you should be praying and thanking God for that so you're not here until 2 o'clock. <laughs> so the first thing that we need to understand when we begin to speak about prayer is that God does hear you. If God didn't hear you, if God wasn't listening to your prayers, praying would be kind of like walking up to the door of a vacant house that you know no one's there and knocking on the door. And when someone says, what are you doing? I'm waiting for someone to answer. But nobody's there. I know, I'll just keep knocking. It would be an, a, just an effort in futility. It would be foolish. You know, it would be like looking for something that you know you don't have anymore. And you know you, but you continue to look forever, even though you know you don't have it. It's just an effort in foolishness. But the good news is, the great news is that God does hear your voice. In John 11, 41 through 42, it says, So they removed the stone. And this is a story, if you remember, when Lazarus was in the tomb. And uh, Jesus came up. And, and I love this story because Jesus knows Lazarus is dead. Everybody knows Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for a few days in that tomb. And Jesus walks up. And this is where the, actually the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, He wept. And I don't know if you've ever wondered about that. Why would Jesus cry? Because it's not like he was crying and he was upset, you know, because he felt the pain and he understood that Lazarus was dead. And then he went, I know, I'll raise him. I mean, this was his plan from the beginning. He knew what he was going to be doing. Yet he says he still wept. And the reason he wept is because Jesus cares about you and I. He cares about his friends and his family. And he saw Mary and, and all of them and the disciples, they were weeping and they were upset. And Jesus wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He knew Lazarus would be back from the dead. But he was weeping because he understood the pain these people were feeling. And he cares for them deeply, just like he cares for you and I. So anyway, it says, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Isn't it good we can know that he always hears us? But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Now, I know one of the first things you can say is, but this was Jesus. It doesn't say that God hears me. I mean, we know God hears Jesus, but he's the Son of God. Well, I want you to know that, that Jesus was a model for us to live by. And when we know that Jesus didn't operate in any, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, but he operated just like you and I. When he did miracles, he did them through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I have that same power. When he talked to God, he did it in the same way that you and I did. It says that his deity was not something that he grasped, but he willingly laid it down. So he operated just like you and I. So when you can say, when he says, I knew that you always hear me, that's the same for us. And if you don't believe me, we've got a few more scriptures. Psalm 116, 1 through 2 says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. Now we don't know who wrote this psalm, but this psalm, psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. He has inclined his ear to me. This guy 
understood that God was listening. And actually, he must have had an event in his life that completely impacted his uh, belief structure in God. It actually, he had something happen in his life that made a change. Because when he saw this, he says, therefore, I shall call on him as long as I live. It's also good to know that God just isn't hearing your voice in, in specific times for the big things. You know, we look at Jesus. He's about to raise someone from the dead. Oh, thank you for hearing me in these huge things. But I want you to know, as long as you live, when you speak to God, he will hear you, whether it's for the smallest thing, when you're praying for, for just you're late for work and you're praying for good you know, good blessing in traffic so you can make it on time to, you know, when you're looking for healing for cancer or something that's that incredibly, uh, to us seems like such an incredible problem. But I want you to know there's nothing too big for God and he listens for everything, whether it's big or small. And then in Jeremiah 33, 2 through 3, it says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. That God wants you to call to him, and he says that I will answer you. And I want you to know that the Bible says that God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he would change his mind. When God says something, we can take that to the bank. We can count on it from here on out. And it says, I will tell you great and mighty things that you don't know. And the Greek word here for mighty literally translates to an accessible. He says, I'll tell you great things that are inaccessible. It's like uh, when they were used this word, they used to, to talk about impenetrable fortresses. This is stuff that we cannot learn in any other way except through the revelation of God. And there is so many things that God will reveal to you if you begin to pray to him. And I tell you what, you know, the, the, the Bible says that the cross is foolishness to those who, who are unsaved, that don't have Jesus in their heart. And the same thing, do you remember reading the Bible before you were saved? Did you ever read it? And you're like, this is ridiculous. I don't get, this doesn't mean anything to me. There's no power in this. There's no nothing. And then when you got saved, you began to open the, open the Bible and you began to look at the words and it just had this new life. It was this new thing. And you were like, I never saw that before, but now I can see how that impacts me. This is the revelation of God as he begins to reveal things to you more than just head knowledge, but something in your heart begins to stir and awaken as he reveals things to you as you spend time with him in prayer. The next thing that we should be praying for is for our eyes to be opened. This is kind of that, just we were talking about, that revelation that God, God leads to us. And Paul is speaking to the Ephesians here, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. You know, we should be asking God to open our eyes, to remove that stuff in between us. And I was listening to this story about this guy who went to a, a prayer meeting every morning, which, by the way, we have prayer meetings every morning at 9 o'clock, if you'd like to be a part of that. But it says this guy was in there every morning, and he would say, Lord, please remove the cobwebs that are in the way of you and me. And, this, and he kept praying that. And then every Saturday he would come back, Lord, please remove the cobwebs that are formed in between you and me. And sat Sunday morning after Sunday morning, prayer meeting after prayer meeting, and finally one of the other congregation members says, Lord, please remove the spider. You know, and that's the, is there anything in the way that's actually causing these issues? If you have something that keeps coming up, let's start dealing with the, and this is totally a side note, but let's deal with the root of the problem, not the, the uh, what word am I looking for? 
There you go. I knew, knew we let you in here for a reason. <laughs> so, so let's look at these things that Paul is praying for. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And he's asking that because he wants, Paul wants you to understand these things, not just with a head knowledge, but with a revelation in your heart. And the first thing he says, that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Now, what is the hope of his calling? You see, hope used in the scripture to, it's the absolute certainty of a believer in the victory of Jesus Christ. It's the, the hope that we have of his calling. And I want you to know that the Bible says that he wishes none should perish and that you are all called by Jesus to be, to be made a child of God. And it says the hope of his calling is knowing that we're made pure, that we're made righteous, that we're made brand new by what Jesus did on the cross. And it's our our absolute certainty of our victory in that that is what what is hope. And the next thing we look at is, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint? The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Those are things like peace, grace, love, hope, the final redemption from the presence of sin. You know, peace is that when everything's going bad around you, you can put your focus on God and trust in Him and know that it's going to work out. That's the peace that we are, one of the riches of His glory, of His inheritance, is that we can have peace. And that grace is, is being giving something that we didn't deserve, but He gave and poured out on us anyway. In love, did you know that you can't love correctly until you learn what love is from God? When you experience that love from Him, you realize that, man, I, I thought I was loving somebody, but Compared to this, it was nothing. And you begin to understand what, what love really is. And you begin to love people better and have the opportunity to do so as you're made new. And that's one of the riches of his glory is that you can love people well. And finally is that final redemption from sin. One of the riches you get is not just a blotting out of sin, not just a, a, uh, a, a forgiveness crossing line off the, off the register of the debt that you owe, but you're actually completely freed from it. Not only do you not have to worry about it again, not only did you band-aid the problem, is it the, this sin is paid for, but you are free from sin from then on. It has no hold on you. And that is one of the riches of his glory, is that we are completely free from sin. Amen? And then finally, it says we need to understand the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we understand what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Other translations say for us who believe. It says the ears are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Paul wants you to understand the power that you have available through Jesus Christ. You know, uh, we seem to have a tough time with this here in the States because somehow our culture has changed that we no longer believe in the supernatural. We no longer believe uh, this, this stuff can happen. We begin to think that if it doesn't meet with science somehow that it can't happen. And you'll see a total difference if you go to, like when I was there in Africa, the people are just so open and willing to believe for these miracles and they happen so much more than they do over here because of this, this culture that we have that this stuff can't happen. It's miracles don't happen today anymore. But I want you to know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that we have through Christ. And Paul says we should pray that we understand that and we should realize that because the Bible said that these signs will follow those who believe. And you have that power inside of you if you just begin to pray to understand what you actually have. Amen? The next thing we should be praying for is for provision. In James 4, 2-3 it says, You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. 
You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Who's the first person that you ask for provision? When you are going through a tough time, do you go, are you trusting in your work to provide for you, to provide that paycheck? Because we know sometimes things can turn quickly at work. Are you looking to the government to provide for you? Where are you looking for your provision? Who are you asking for provision? There's a story of a, of a kayaker in England, and he's going down, kayaking down the, the waters, and he, he hits some really bad turbulent water, and it actually capsizes his kayak, and he's stuck hanging onto a branch, and he reaches for his cell phone. And even though he knew that his dad was 3,500 miles away training some British soldiers in Dublin, this was in England that this happened, he called his dad still. The first person he thought to call was his dad. And his dad took care of the situation. His dad called the Coast Guard that was only about 12 miles away. And in like 12 minutes or something, they sent a helicopter in, and they rescued this guy. And I find it odd that the, this guy trusted his dad. He knew that his dad would find a way out for him. And is that the same attitude that we have in our heart? Do we trust our Heavenly Father to meet all of our needs, to meet our provision? So we see here this says, well, you, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we ask for him. Once again, we see that he hears us. We know that he hears us. And we just talked about that a little while ago. But something that I want to point out here is it says, if we ask anything according to his will, or up here it says, because you ask with wrong motives, the same thing. Are you asking according to God's will? Now, I think as young believers, we tend to want to laundry list this out. What is according to God's will? You know, what, what is God's will in your life? So the first thing we need to know that if there's stuff that's obviously against the will of God, your prayers, he's not going to answer that prayer. If you're praying for your neighbor's wife, you're hoping that something will happen so you can, you can have that relationship, God's not going to answer that one. I hate to break it to you. I heard a story of a, of a, of a guy who was taking a test, and he didn't do very well. And, and, and when he was done with the test, he prayed to God. and said, Lord, please let Paris be the capital of England. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. <laughs> but... You know, what is the will of God? And like I said, young believers want to put out, like they want this laundry list. They want this cut and dry list. What is the will of God? What is not? And there's some stuff that we see in the Word that is obviously not the will of God. But I want you to know that if you are, have your mind focused on Him and you've been renewed, did you know that when you begin to focus on God and your mind is renewed daily as you spend time in the Word, that you begin to have the mind of Christ? Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Well, if you have the mind of Christ and you're thinking like Christ, did you know that everything that you ask for is according to the will of God as long as you are focused on Christ? And the first thing, like I said earlier, you can know if you're in the will of God because the stuff that you ask for are in line with the word of God. Are you asking for, for people to get saved in your city? That's the will of God. Are you asking for... Uh, provision in your life so you can get a bigger boat and everything's about you. You want a boat and an RV and a car and you're just asking for, for more money and blessing in that way. Is that according to the will of God? 
If that's all you're asking for, probably not. But what if you're asking for that same raise because you want to be a blessing to the people around you? You want to be able to impact people around you for the kingdom of God. You're asking for the same blessing, the same provision, but your motives are different. I believe that is according to the will of God. You know, there's this uh, whole thing about the prosperity gospel going around, and that's God wants you to be rich. And, and uh, I know... I think the, the idea behind it has swung way too far to one side of the pendulum. I don't think God wants every single one of us to be filthy rich in the sense that, in the sense that we are just serving ourselves. But I do believe that God wants you to prosper. I do believe, that, the, and the Word says that, that uh, God will take care of every single one of your needs. And not only will you have enough, but you'll have an abundance. In that aspect, I believe God, truly God wants you to prosper. And I believe that God wants to prosper you so you can be a blessing to other people. So let's keep moving on. So the next thing, because we're going to get way behind. The next thing we should be praying for is peace. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Pardon me. How many of you know that anxiety is a killer? Literally, it will take years off your life if all you do is worry. They have uh, they've done so many scientific 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 studies that have shown that that people who are anxious it literally takes years off their life and it can cause damage to them physically and mentally. And the Bible says, "Be anxious for nothing." So why why do we get anxious? Anxious at its root is always fear. We are anxious because we don't think that we're going to have enough money to get through to the next paycheck. So we become anxious. And that is a fear of, of not having, being provided for. And you see that anxiety is always at root has fear. But God says, be anxious in nothing, but in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Supplication. All that means is just a humble prayer. It's going to God with an attitude of, I realize you don't owe me anything, God, but I believe that, but I know that you love me and you care about me so much that you're going to meet my needs. It's kind of like with your, with your children. Do you ever feel like that they come to you with this attitude of that, that we owe you something? You know, we owe you, or we owe them something. You know, they come up to us and, and uh, I need a new pair of shoes and you better get it for me. You know, that you have to take care of me. There's this idea that, that we owe them something. And the only thing we owe them is that they stay alive till they move out of the house. <laughs> but but uh, the truth is, you know, that's not how we go to God. We don't go to God with this attitude of you owe me something. But we go to God with the, like a child should go to their parent knowing, I know that you love me and I know that you want the best for me. And I just thank you that you're going to... to to make these things a reality in my life and provide for me. And, uh, oh, I just totally lost my place. And then it says, when you do this, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. You ever been in a situation where you, you begin talking to God and you have peace that you just don't understand? There's no reason that you should have peace about this situation. And that's that peace that, that surpasses all comprehension. I mean, we don't understand where that's coming from. 
But it says he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Like I said, anxiety is a killer. It'll actually cause physical damage to your body, to your mind. But if you if you focus on Jesus and you give all that anxiety to him and you understand that he is going to provide for you and meet every single one of your needs and you have no reason to be afraid, then he'll guard your heart and your mind. And that that damage that could have been caused by the anxiety won't happen because you are not anxious. But then we look in First Peter. Oh, the last thing I want to look at is it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You know, something that I think I see a lot is when people go to God, they begin to lay out their laundry list of, God, can I have this? Will you do this? And something that I want you to think about when you begin to pray is begin to thank God for already receiving these things. And we'll look at later, it says, ask as if you have already received. So instead of saying, Lord, we thank you, or Lord uh, would you please make sure that uh, I have enough funds in the account to cover the next rent check? You say, thank you, Lord, that I have enough funds in the account to cover the next It's a subtle difference. But it totally changes where you're coming from, from God, when you say thank you for doing these things, and you believe that you've already received them. And then in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on him. You have to give it to God. He won't come and take it from you. He's not going to come pick it up. And the problem we see is, but Pastor Wayne, I, I did give this thing to God, and I'm still having these issues. What, did you take it back? When you give it to God, just give it to him and let it fully be in his hands. In Psalm 55, 22, it says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. You know, if you give everything to God, he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. And he's not going to let your world be rocked. It says he'll not allow the righteous to be shaken. And something that, that I've seen so many times that I think is so important when you're giving your burdens to God, when you're giving your anxiety to God, some people do it like this. They're walking down the road with this incredibly heavy sack on their back. And somebody comes up with a cart and says, hey, can I give you a ride to ease your burden, to ease your load? And they say, sure. And they get up in the cart and they stand, but they never take the sack off their back. You know, and that's kind of what we do with God when we, we, we talk about, oh, yeah, I gave it to God, but you never really let go of it. You only let God kind of help you out. I want you to know that, that when you're giving stuff to God, put your stuff down on the cart and let him take care of it. Let him take that burden for you. Amen? Next thing we should do is be praying for the brethren. That's praying for all of us in this room. And not just in this room, but also across the city. We're, we're the church of Christ. We're the Christ church. We're not a bunch of individual denominations. We are one church. It is his church. And that's, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they come to this church or they go to another. And we see that with Paul as he writes his letters to the different churches that uh, he's constantly in prayer for those members of those churches. In Philippians 1, 3 through 4, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, and he says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And Philemon 1, 4, it says, I thank my God always, once again, he's saying always, making mention of you of my prayers. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1, 
2 through 3, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor, of love in Christ, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the, Lord, in the presence of our God and Father. So when you pray, and I want you to take notice of this because you might, you might see some things. And I, I noticed when I began to focus on this stuff in my life, I began to realize that I, I thought I was doing pretty good, but God began to point out these different areas in my life. And one of them was when I used to pray, it was kind of this, uh, Lord, please bless my wife and my kids and, and my family, you know, us four and no more mentality, you know. And, uh, and it's true. I mean, I, I'm just being honest with you guys. There was a point in my life, that's, that's what I was praying for. I was young in my Christian walk. I didn't understand uh, what it was to be mature and actually be thinking of other people. I was just concerned about myself. Praise God. God saved me and my family, and I was excited. But God began to point out these things. So are you praying for your brethren? Are you praying for the people in your church? Are you praying for your family? Not just your immediate family, but your, your extended family. Are you praying for people you go to church with? Are you praying for people in other churches? You know, Paul began to pray for church after church after church, and he always said, I thank God in remembrance of you, always offering prayer. And finally, when we are praying, this kind of needs to be real prayer. I saw, I saw a leadership cartoon once that's got this guy standing and there's a guy walking up to him and he goes, oh no, here comes Bob. I told him I'd pray for him. <laughs> and, then he, and then he says, he says, oh God, please bless Bob. And then Bob walks up, he goes, hey Bob, been praying for you. That's, you know, that's not what we're looking for. We want to have actual, a heartfelt time with God and actually uh, caring about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Next, pray for your enemies. Nobody likes doing that, do they? Matthew 5, 43-44 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's easy for me to say. First off, praying for your neighbors means to pray blessing on your neighbors. It doesn't mean... You know, oh, I already pray for, I already pray for, not neighbors, enemies, sorry. I already pray for my enemies. I just prayed earlier that they would drive off a cliff. One, not according to the will of God, not going to do that for you. Second off, we need to be praying for blessing for them. And this means we have to forgive them too. And remember I told you that we don't know how to love until we actually feel that love from God. You know that we begin to learn how to forgive because he forgave us. We say, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad it was. Do you know how bad the stuff that you did to Jesus was? Did you, did you look at your life before you were saved? And you know what? He never holds it over you. He, never, he blots it out completely. He says, my, the sin is as far from you as the east is the west. I remember it no more. And in that same example, as evidence that we realize that we've been forgiven, we need to extend that forgiveness to others as well. There was a story of, uh, and I, I was looking for it. I remember hearing it, and I could not find the lady's name, but she was in a, uh, a concentration camp, and she was uh, in a Nazi concentration camp for years. Huh? That's why I let him in the church. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, or she, she's uh, in this prison camp, and I think she watched her, this prison guard kill her parents, and it was... Oh, and her sister, and it was a miserable experience. So I'm trying to remember it. I couldn't find the story. <laughs> well, you want to come tell it, Joseph? <laughs> so anyway, she's giving these speeches, and she, she gets saved, and she begins to do these, uh, the, these tours or conferences where she begins to tell of her experience. And then one day, out from the crowd comes up this man, and he says, I'm the, I'm the, the one in the camp that killed your sister. 
And she began to have this moment where she'd been preaching forgiveness and how I forgave these, these people. And, and now she's got this, it's coming to head, like, do I really forgive this, this man? And right there in front of everyone, she did forgive him. And they actually work together now in doing this ministry as they tell their story. But that is such an incredible story and testimony of extending the forgiveness that Christ gave you to someone else because that's tough. You know, that's, would we do the same thing? And uh, I I pray that we would. And I I pray that God give me the strength and grace to act in the same manner that this incredible woman of God did that day. The next thing we should be praying for is our world and its leaders. But didn't we just talk about this in praying for your enemies? Oh, no, you knocked that off. That's not right. Don't think that way. <laughs> in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, it says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord, in the sight of God our Savior. You know, still at this time, the Jews are very much enslaved and oppressed by the Romans at this time. And Paul is teaching them to pray for the people in authority, kings and queens. I mean, I think sometimes we think, and today we have some leaders that we may not agree with, or maybe you do agree with the leaders, but we have some issues and we think it's rough. But I mean, these guys are enslaved by these people. They're completely under the Caesar's thumb, and that's what he says. And, and Paul says, pray for them. Can you imagine? Something totally that they never even thought of before. And why does he say to do it? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. You know, we need to pray for our leaders, whether you agree with who's in, in leadership or power right now, we do need to pray for them that they would be blessed, that they would come to know the Lord if they don't, that their decisions would be godly, because we want to lead a tranquil and quiet life. How many of you know that it is not fun for Christians to have to fight for uh, the, the right of a children to not be aborted? That's not a quiet and tranquil life, and we will stand for that because we believe that all life is precious. However, that's not the best use of our time is defending these things. The best use of our time is reaching people for Jesus. So we need to pray for our leaders so that the laws and stuff that come into pass are in accordance with God's will so we can leave a tranquil and quiet life in that area. Amen? Oh, man. Next, we need to be praying to be empowered. In Acts 4.31, it says, And then they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. How many know that when you pray, that you, are, you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to, have, to speak with boldness? And I pray for this all the time because even as a pastor, sometimes it's hard for me to walk up to somebody and tell them about Jesus. You know, and I, I thank God for that boldness that he gives, he gives to me because, like I said, in our culture, somehow along the way there's this stigma that if you believe in Jesus, you're a freak or you're crazy and people are going to think of you weird. And, and we need boldness to overcome that because I know I, I still need boldness to deal with that. I know that I, I, I'm struggle with that many times. <clears throat> and the truth is we need power today just as much as they need it in the book of Acts. We need that power of the Holy Spirit to, to impact the world around us. I would say if not more so than time in the book of Acts. And then finally, there's uh, Philip Brooks. He was, uh, <clears throat> he was uh, a church leader. He wrote, actually wrote the words to a little town of Bethlehem. And he said a quote that I just thought was amazing. And he said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. 
Amen. That's the way the early church prayed, and that's the way that we should be praying too, just to be, to be given the, the ability and strength to deal with whatever's coming our way. Amen. Another thing we should be praying for is that we would fulfill our calling. 2 Thessalonians 1.11-12 says, To this end, also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. What do you think it means to be worthy of your calling? Do you think it has to do with what you've done? Your accomplishments? I can tell you right now that it has nothing to do with your accomplishments. Being worthy of your calling has nothing to do with how good you can sing or, or speak or do any of that stuff. You know what makes you worthy of your calling? Being obedient and doing it. If you will be obedient to God in the calling of your life. So what is your calling? Well, I know that all of us are called to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if you'll be obedient in that area, whether you feel like you're skilled at it or not, you'll be considered worthy of your calling. And God will give you the words to speak. God will give you the strength to accomplish those things. God would never ask you to do something that he wouldn't give you the strength and ability to accomplish. Amen? And this is Paul prayed that our... Oh, and fulfill every desire for goodness in the works of faith with power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Just pray that you will be able to fulfill every desire for goodness. Every one of those desires you have in accordance with the will of God, pray that you're able to, to fulfill that role. And it says, and the work of faith with power. He wants, Paul was praying that not only would your faith be fulfilled, but it would be fulfilled powerfully and mightily, that you would have power. Just like Jesus, says, uh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, for I am going to the Father. You know, that's the kind of the, the power that our faith should be springing forth in us. Having faith in what Jesus said will allow you to do these works of power. And Paul said that we should pray for that, that we fulfill that. And finally, it's not for our glory, though. When we do these amazing things and you see God working through somebody and, and uh, the biggest mistake you can make is let that get to your head. Let that begin to inflate your ego, to pump your tires as you think that I'm, I'm so good and I did these things. But the truth is that everything that God does through you is to glorify Him and to be a witness of who He is. Amen? All right. So now that we've talked about all these different things that we should be praying for, as you see throughout the Bible... Examples of how mighty men and women of God prayed. Now we need to talk about how to pray. Not what to pray for, but how to pray. In Luke 11, 1 through 4, <clears throat> pardon me, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we, also, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, the way uh, Jewish teachers used to preach many times was in patterns. This is not a specific prayer that you need to pray, not, not that there's anything wrong with it, and if you pray this prayer, God will be faithful to it, just like he is any other prayer. But this was a pattern of how to pray. And the first thing it says when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. When you begin to pray, the first thing you should be doing is glorifying God, giving him honor and glory that he deserves. When you first start praying, you just thank God for who he is and what he's done for you and begin to worship him at first when you start a prayer. And then it says, your kingdom come. 
The next thing is, is that we need to be praying for not just one day to go to heaven, but for heaven to be here down on earth. Your kingdom come. And we know we want his kingdom to be alive and well on, and on earth. So when we begin to pray for people to be healed, in heaven there is no sickness. So we begin to pray for people in healing, standing on authority, because he, that should be a reality in a believer's life here on earth. And it is. The Bible says that by his stripes you were healed. And we thank God for that. We begin to pray for the attitude and culture of heaven to be alive and well on earth. And then it says, give us each day our daily bread. This is when we begin to ask God for provision. You, know, you thank God for the, for the stuff that you need in your life. And like I said before, don't just give him a longer list, but begin to thank him for it as if you've already received this. And then it says, and forgive us our sins. One is to come to God with the realization that your sins are forgiven. Sins are forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, and you come to him with that reality that you are clean, that you are pure. Begin to thank God that I've been made a new person. In 2 Corinthians it says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed. passed. Behold, new things have come. That's when we go to God with that attitude. We can come boldly to the throne of God knowing that we are forgiven. We've been made pure and holy by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And then it says... Forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We just talked about that a little while ago. Because of this fantastic thing that God has done for us, we should show that same forgiveness to others. I remember one time I was talking with my pastor, and I was, <clears throat> I was, uh, I think I was complaining about one of the kids. They were doing something that was driving me crazy. You know, looking for a little sympathy. You ever complain about something, hoping someone's going to sympathize with you? Said pastors do what they do best and corrected me. And he's like, well, look at the way that you deal with God. You know, how have you treated God? And you're like, ah, you're right. You know, I need to extend the same grace even to my children as the grace that God extended to me. And finally it says, and lead us not into temptation. You know, this is not so much that God's, he's not talking about that God is leading you to temptation. God is not going to lead you to temptation. Uh, I think it's uh, John or James says that, uh, that uh, God doesn't tempt. But what it is saying here, and, and they understood it in their culture at the time, is that, Lord, don't put us in our situations that we can, uh, oh, I have it. Oh, no, that note fell off. Anyway, it's <laughs> for, for to, to get us in situations that, that we don't lead us, put us in situations where we will be tempted. Lord, let us have ways out. You know, the, the, God is never going to put you in a situation that you can't get out of. God is not going to put you in a situation where there is no way out, that you have to do what you're dealing with. So he's saying, he's not saying God leads us in temptation, but he's saying thank you for delivering us from situations in which we are tempted. Uh, Mother Teresa once said, probably my favorite quote she ever said is, she said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle, but sometimes I wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> you know, and I've thought that a few times in my life as well. Hey, there's my other note. In Matthew 6, 7 through 8, it says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you go to pray, it should always be uh, from the heart. It should be real. It shouldn't be this rote thing. If you ever get into a situation where you're saying prayers that are just rote, it's a, an automatic response that have no 
faith or, or motivation behind them. You need to, to take a step back and, and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because when you pray to God, you need to be praying with an attitude of, of expectation, an attitude of thankfulness, and, and be involved in what you're doing. It's just like uh, with, with your wife. If, you're, if she's speaking to me and I'm just going, uh-huh, 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 there's nothing behind it, you know, that's not, that's not a blessing to her, and she's actually going to be disgruntled. <laughs> I saw that. He's <laughs> going to be disgruntled with that. And uh, the truth is, that, you know, God wants the same thing from you. He wants an attentive, uh, truthful prayer. And it says, don't do it with repetition. You know, I think the funniest story of this is, do you remember when uh, Elijah was having the face-off with the prophets of, of Baal and... and uh, they're standing around their altar trying to get it to burst in flames and they're yapping and yelling and screaming and just trying to get their God's attention. And Elijah says, Elijah mocked them and he called out, he says, call out with a loud voice for he, is, for he is a God. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And you see these people that are just trying to, to reach their God by repetition, the same things over and over. They figure if they holler at him enough, he'll get annoyed enough to actually answer him. But the truth is, God knows what you need before you ask for them. And he's got his ear inclined to you. He's always listening. So when you come to God, like I said, don't even, I don't even ask God for stuff anymore. I just begin to thank him for stuff. Like, uh, you know, I call things that are unseen as if they are seen. Uh, in faith, I believe that God will answer my prayers. And I just thank him for what he's already done. Next thing is we pray in faith. James 1, 5 through 8 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Are you guys lacking wisdom? Ask God, and he will give you wisdom. It says, Who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, if you go to God with an expectation of your prayers being answered, he is faithful. But if you go to God with just lip service, you don't really believe what's going to happen. There's a, uh, I was reading about a story of this king who, he wanted to build a, a kingdom for his subjects, and he wanted it to be just a great place for them to live. So he said that when you guys all move there, I built this place for you as you live in your house. You send any request to our storehouses here, and we will send you a request no matter what you ask for. The only requirement is that you be on the lookout for them, that you actually be watching for these requests to be, to be delivered to you. And after this man lives a long life and never receiving anything he asked for, he's taken to this warehouse and he sees all the things that he had asked for and they have his address on them and they were shipped there. But the problem was this man didn't believe what the king said. He didn't believe that, that these, uh, these gifts, this, this provision would be delivered. So he never watched out for them. He never looked for them coming because he didn't believe they'd be coming. And in doing such, he never received what was intended for him. And we see that in our lives as well. If you come to God asking for stuff without ever expecting to receive it, God cannot provide that provision in your life because God requires faith. And if you don't have that, he can't. You limit God's ability to work in your life if you don't believe that he is who he says he is and can do what he says he'll do. And something to point out, though, is how many of you guys have ever doubted? I've doubted. And this, this used to kind of give me a lot of trouble because 
some areas I still, you know, you get that doubt creeping in. But I want you to know it doesn't mean that, you, that you're not going to have doubt creeping in. It doesn't mean that, that uh, you might not have that moment of uh, weakness where you're like, oh, man, I'll, you know, is this really going to happen? But the truth is what it means is, is your faith muscle bigger than your doubt muscle? When that doubt begins to creep in, do you let it well up and take control of you, or do you push it down and say, no, I don't choose to believe that lie. I choose to believe what God says. I choose to believe the truth of the Word of God. When that doubt creeps up, when you let it take over, when you let it consume you, that's when you're the double-minded man, giving lip service, asking for something, but not really believing you receive it. So I want you to know, if you do have doubt, if that happens, it doesn't mean that you are a failure or a double-minded man. It just means that you need to make sure that that doesn't well up in you and take over, but you actually have your faith muscle be stronger than your doubt muscle. And then in John 15 through 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And the last thing is, are you abiding in Christ? You know, it never ceases to amaze me when I, when I talk to people who aren't Christians or, or, they, uh, or they got saved some time ago, but they haven't done anything for God. For, basically, they're Christian in culture and name, but they're not really, they're not disciples, they're not believers. They just, and then something bad happens, and they begin to pray to God. And then they wonder why sometimes their prayers aren't answered. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God loves everybody the same. God loves unbelievers and believers alike. And I've seen God do amazing things in people's lives, whether they were believers or not. And I believe that God will work in everybody's lives. But it's this attitude they come from. They're like, God can't be real because he, he didn't answer my prayer. You haven't talked to him in 25 years. What do you, why do you expect God to all of a sudden... You know, like, you don't even have a relationship with them. And it always, it always amazes me. But we can have confidence. And John 15 through 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Amen? Finally, we can pray with authority. And we should pray with authority. Mark eleven twenty three through 24 says, Truly, and this is Jesus speaking, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, there's that does not doubt in his heart again, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be grant, granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted for you. Sometimes, when you're praying and you've got problems in your life, you need to stop telling God about your problems. But start telling your problems about your God. Amen. When it's talking about these mountains, what is the mountain in your life? You know, what are those things that have welled up against you? What is that mountain? And like I said, stop telling God about that mountain. But you say to that mountain about your God, and you tell it to be cast into the sea. You know, what's funny is it doesn't say, ask God to cast the mountain into the sea. It says, you tell it to be cast into the sea. And that's the faith that we can have and act with because of the power of God. Jesus living inside of us gives us the authority to tell, tell these mountains to be cast into the sea. <clears throat> and it says, and finally it says, believe that you have received them. And we already talked about that. And they will be granted to you. The next one is Matthew 18, 18 through 20. It says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And there's actually some weird translating going on here, because what that actually translates to, and actually in most of your Bibles, there'll be a little tick mark that if you click on, or you'll see a footnote that shows how really 
literally translates. And it says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be having already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be having already been loosed in heaven. This is what we talked about where you're, you're bringing heaven down on earth. Your kingdom come. You can bind anything on earth if it is the culture of heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. So you can bound sickness here on earth because it's already been bound in heaven. There's no sin. There's no, there's no uh, hurt and pain and all those things. You have the power to bind those things having already been bound in heaven. Amen? Yeah. And then it says again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And that is such an amazing, and God is here with us right now. Isn't that amazing? That God cares about us enough to come down to earth? He knows every single hair on your head. It's easier, yeah, it's easier for, it's easier for him with some people than others. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think about that. It's such a mundane thing. Why would you want to know how many, I mean, but that's how much God cares. He knows everything about you, and he loves you so much. And I'm just so thankful that he is with us right now. I also want to talk about praying in the Spirit. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, but we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And praying, what is praying in the Spirit? Praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, is evidenced by speaking in tongues. And I will be doing a much more in-depth teaching on the gifts of the Spirit uh, over probably the next couple weeks. But, uh, you know, it says, in the, I'm so happy that even though there's way times when I don't know how to pray, that I can pray in the Spirit and know that, uh, that, that the Spirit intercedes for me to pray things that I don't even know need to be done to God. You know, there's times when you'll pray in the Spirit to begin to, to pray in tongues that you'll be asking and having stuff dealt with, and you're going to find out one day in heaven what was dealt with that you don't even know. It says, for one who speaks in a tongue, and this is 1 Corinthians 14.2, does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, not even the person praying. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will seek, sing with the mind also. I'm just so thankful that, uh, you know, Paul even said it too. Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. You know, and it's because that the, the Spirit will intercede for us and we'll begin to pray for things we didn't even know needed to be prayed for. And uh, once again, like I said, I know this is a real brief introduction to this and I will spend more time on this uh, in future sermons, but uh, and we'll go ahead and, and uh, move on to the last slide because I know we've been going for a while now. In Colossians 4, 2 through 3, it says, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in, in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time, for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which we have also been in prison. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. You know, and this completely devoted to prayer and praying without ceasing. I talked about it last week, but it's, it doesn't mean that you're literally 100% of the time running your mouth praying to God. But it is an attitude of heart as you begin to go throughout your day at any given moment, can you break out and pray to God? Is that where you're at? Or do you get to the end of the day and go, 
I haven't said a single thing to him in three weeks. You know, there's this, this praying without ceasing is this attitude that you have that at any given time, like that the guy on the kayak, as he called his dad, is that the first person you call when something comes up? When something good happens, is the first thing out of your mouth praise for the, for the God who loves you and provided these things for you? That's what he's talking about in this pray without ceasing and devoting yourself to prayer. You have to make a decision to pray. You need to actually take the time to, to, uh, to do these things. Like we have a, a prayer meeting on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and that's something you need to decide to come to if you want to be a part of that. You need to decide to spend time in prayer uh, at night before you go to bed. You need to decide to spend time in prayer with your wife, with your husband, with your spouses. You need to make those decisions. And it says, be devoted to prayer. And finally... We need to talk about, as we've gone through this whole thing, you may have learned some things that you've never known before. you learned that you could pray for things that you didn't even know about. You may have learned that there's stuff that we should be praying about that you, shouldn't, that you didn't even know about. And there's this story of a, of a church that got a new, a new minister in, and, and at the end of the service, one of the, the, the elders came to this lady and said, well, how do you like the, the new minister? And she goes, well, he preaches all right, but... Uh, <clears throat> said our old pastor used to used to pray for stuff that this one doesn't even know he can ask for, you know. And that's the idea we have is is you know we need to spend time in the Word and begin to see what's what's God uh, His will is for our life and what these things we should be praying for. If you want to learn how to pray, if you if you're not very comfortable with praying, I said the best place to do it is in a prayer meeting or getting together with mature believers who do know how to pray. Easiest way to learn how to pray and and it'll make a huge impact in your life because as your as your prayer life gets stronger, your relationship with God gets stronger. You're going to see God do amazing things in your life. Amen. Amen.